So, today, if I was to stand here and tell you that at the end of service, I was going to give you all a new car, would, would you believe me? Like Oprah style, like check under your seat right now. Is there an envelope with keys in there? There's not. Don't waste your time. <laughs> but I, I don't have the credibility to make that promise to you. Uh, I mean, I get paid well as a middle school teacher. I'm not going to lie. But it's not that lucrative. Like, I can't buy you all a Tesla today. I'm sorry. Um, and that sort of promise from me is not worth investing your faith in because I don't have what it takes to make that promise to you. But when God makes promises to us, we can trust him because he does have credibility. You know, he, he does have the authority to make those promises, and he does have the ability to see those promises through to completion. Um, do you know how many promises there are in the Bible? I had to look, obviously, I had to, like, look it up. And there's um, a debate based on, like, you know, promises made in general, promises made about, like, his character. But I think most of the times when we think of promises made in the Bible, we think about, like, promises about us, obviously, you know, promises God makes to humankind. And if we look at just the promises that God makes to us, there are 7,487 of them. I mean, not only is that a baffling number, but what's baffling about it is they're all true. You know, can you think of all the promises you've made and broken in your life? Like, all of us have, obviously, but I think I would still say, like, they're countless. I cannot remember all the promises I've broken. Anything from, like, oh, I swear I'm going to get this done on time to, like, yeah, we're going to hang out next Thursday. Like, all of those promises, you know what I mean? Like, yet, at the same time, even though we know that we've failed to keep promises, we still have this feeling of entitlement to be considered trustworthy. Like, we can still describe people as, oh, yeah, that guy's very trustworthy, or she's very trustworthy, despite the fact that we know at some point in their life they have failed to keep promises. But God has kept every single promise he made, yet instead of placing the utmost trust in him, at times we still rely on our own fleshly instincts and gut reactions to guide our decision-making. And that's wild. I mean, that's insane. But the most beautiful thing about God's promises is not only does he keep them all, but God's promises throughout the Bible paint a picture and allude to salvation through Christ. If we track God's promises through the Bible, they aren't just reassurances, but it's showing us that eventually Christ is going to come. And so in order to start tracking that, let's go back and look at the story of Abraham. So God promised Abraham that he was going to have a child. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, doubted God. So after they're told you're going to have a child, Sarah's like, uh, no, let's not do that. I want you to just go sleep with my servant Hagar instead. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant. Uh, she has a baby. She has Ishmael. She begins to treat Sarah with contempt, and then Sarah becomes angry with Abraham, telling him that it's his fault that Hagar's treating her this way. Then Abraham, the manly man that he is, goes, mm, your servant, your problem. And so he just kind of like bows out. He's like, mm, you do whatever you want to do. So Sarah continues to mistreat Hagar, and Hagar eventually runs away. Now, there are a lot of parallels between God's promises to Abraham and Sarah and also God's promises to Adam and Eve. You know, we see God promised, or God 
asks Adam to do something, commands Adam to do something. Adam is misled by Eve. God asks, uh, what's up? What are you doing? I told you, like, this literally one thing. What are you doing? And Adam's like, Eve did it. Eve made me do it. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. And it's the same thing with Abraham and Sarah. God commands Abraham to do something. Sarah misleads him. Then Sarah blames Abraham, and Abraham's just kind of like, what? What am I supposed to do? So distrusting God can not only lead to missed opportunities, but also to a great deal of frustration, anger, and ultimately we find ourselves walking down a path that God never intended for us to tread. So while thinking about God's promises and being uh, an English teacher in middle school, I was like, I need to look up the definition for what a promise is. Like, I think we all know, like, if I asked you what a promise is, you, like, cognitively are aware of what a promise is. But just for the sake of knowing exactly what a promise is, I looked it up in the dictionary, and the definition is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or a particular thing will happen. So, you know, we get that. It's basically just saying, like, yes, something will happen, or I will make something happen, or I will produce something to you. It's just an assurance. But I was like, okay, yeah, I, I think I get promises. I think you all get promises. But I need to go a little bit further. I needed to ask, well, what is needed in order to fulfill a promise? And that's where it got a little bit more complicated, because I was thinking, well, it depends on what's being promised, because me promising you a new car today is a lot different than me promising it's going to rain tomorrow. One of those promises depends on my ability to produce something to you, and another promise relies on me to be able to either force something to happen or to accurately predict something to happen. So it's kind of weird to say, like, well, how do I measure the fulfillment of that promise? So what I realize is that you really need three things no matter what kind of promise is being made, in order to fulfill that promise. And the first thing you need is credibility. The second thing you need is capability. And the third thing you need is authority. So let's talk about the first one. Credibility is just the state of being able to be trusted. Like, are you credible? Uh, if you aren't trustworthy, then your promise means nothing. Even if you have something, and you are being truthful, if you're not trustworthy and people don't believe what you're saying, your promise means nothing because there's no investment into what you're promising anyway. So in the, the illustration of me promising you a car, if you're sitting here going, I know Mitchell cannot give me a Tesla, then it doesn't matter even if there is an envelope under your chair, you don't believe me, so the promise means nothing. So um, I am like the world's worst person to sell to. I don't like going to like little festivals. I don't like going to stores where they sell stuff because I am just like, you could be selling me the cure to COVID-19 and I'd be like, don't care, don't want it, I already have three at home, please don't talk to me. Like, just, I'm the worst. And I don't know why my dad is a salesperson, so like, I, I, I love salespeople. I think it's like a reputable um, business or whatever, but something has happened to me throughout my life that like salespeople have this, this, um, reputation of like you're out to get me like you don't really care about me or want to like get me a product you just want to steal all my money so I'm just like no don't bother me so and I'm not saying that salespeople are like that this is just my truth that I'm living out and I'm sorry that I am this way <laughs> so if you're sitting here like a salesperson I could see like some people eyeing me I'm like I swear I love you okay it's not you it's me but Bree and I um 
Plus, I think it has to do with like me being a millennial, because I'm like, why do I have to talk to you? I have Amazon. Like, I don't need. There's, <laughs> there's no conversation needed here, you know. But a few years ago, Bree and I needed to go buy uh, a new entertainment center for our TV, and so we looked online, and it was in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, so like there were a lot of deals, and I was just trying to shop around and find the best deal, and then I started thinking like, whoa, you remember when like people used to leave the house? and like go inside stores and find items and go, I would like to exchange money for this and take it home today. Remember when we used to do that? That was cool, I was like, let's, it'll be fun, like old school. So we went to a store to buy something. It was wild, I mean, I was having a time in my life. I was like, oh boy. So anyway, so we go to a couple stores, and I'm not gonna say which one um, we went into, but we go, it's one of those stores where you walk in and there's like three salespeople standing there with like a clipboard, like ready to pounce on you. So I'm like, I open the door, and Bree and I walk in, and I see them, and I'm like, nope. And I just start walking, and they're talking to me. Sir, I'm like, mm, nope. No hablo inglés. No, 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 don't talk to me, please. So they're talking at me while I'm making a beeline to the back of the store, because I see what I want to look at, and I'm just like, mm, no, don't talk. So Bree takes the barrage of questions. I like leave her back there. I'm like, no, I'm sorry, you are a sacrifice. Go. So, because Bree is obviously a lot nicer than I am, so Bree's like, mm, no, I think we know what we're looking for. So, you know, anyway. But the thing is, in my mind, I'm trusting my own understanding more than I'm trusting this professional who works there to be able to offer me information that I want. I'm going, no, 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 no. I've, I've got it all right here. Don't need you, okay? I know you work here and, like, you have access to information that I don't have, but mm, no, I don't need it. And that's pretty much the same mindset that Sarah had when God came and spoke to her and Abraham. God said, next year, you're going to have a child. And Sarah goes, ha, that's hilarious. Probably not, God. N knowing she's talking to God <laughs> and goes, that's cute. No. So ultimately, God does prove his credibility to her by providing them with the son. And we see that in Genesis 21, 1 through 7. He says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was over 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. And Isaac means one who laughs or something to that degree. So it's just like, ha ha, you laugh at me. Your son's name's Isaac. Cheers, Luke. Now, something also to consider is not only that God, when he originally promised Abraham that he would have a child, Abraham was 86 years old. So not only originally was it like, no, like you're way too old. And, and Sarah's 10 years younger, so she was 76 years old. So it was already like, no, like that's unfathomable to think that that's going to occur. So not only is it crazy that he made that promise at such a like, late time in their life, it wasn't for another 14 years that Isaac was even born. So God knows not only 
what promises to make you based off your circumstances, but he also knows the timing a whole lot better than we do. And God has the patience to deliver on a promise at exactly the right time. And, and I wonder sometimes, do we have the patience to wait on his fulfillment? Do we see God as credible and trustworthy enough to wait? So when it comes to promises, the second thing is capability. And capability, don't worry, I'm going to give you the definition just in case. Capability is whether or not you are able to fulfill this promise that's being made. So like in the case of the car, like me promising you a car, my capability is whether or not I have a new car to give each of you. I am not capable of doing that. It's, it, it's impossible. Therefore, my promise, once again, is worthless. But in the Bible, I think one of the greatest illustrations of God's capability is in Ezekiel. And so in order to understand, when you're reading the book of Ezekiel, what position the Jews have found themselves in, you have to look back at about 597 BC, the Babylonians came to Judah, kidnapped, kidnapped, took about a thousand Jews and Ezekiel, including Ezekiel, and also the last king of Judah, and I'm sorry, not a thousand, 10,000 Jews, and the last king of Judah, Jehoiakim. So they're in Babylon, They've been taken out of the promised land that they were living in, but they were living like a bunch of crazies. So they were taken away. They're in Babylon now. And the attitude amongst the Jews is kind of like, we screwed up, and it's kind of hopeless. Like, we were in the promised land. We had reached the pinnacle of existence. We were living where God had sent us. We were in Jerusalem worshiping in the temple, and we kind of screwed it up. So, I mean, understandably, the Jews are pretty hopeless right now. They're kind of down on themselves. And the thought of being able to go back to Jerusalem isn't really a reality in their mind. But God begins to speak to Ezekiel and explain to him how he is going to restore the Jews to their original home and reestablish the temple in Jerusalem. Now, things seem pretty bad. And there's no doubt that Ezekiel even himself was skeptical. But then God begins to tell Ezekiel to prophesy to the landscape around him. He says, prophesy to the mountains that Israel's enemies will be defeated. Prophesy to the hills and the ravines. God tells Ezekiel that he is going to cleanse Israel from their sin and restore them. So while God is asking Israel to prophesy to the hills and streams and ravines, Ezekiel comes to the valley of dry bones. And as he's standing there looking over this valley of dry bones, God asks him, son of man, can these bones become living again? And Ezekiel responds, already acknowledging God's capability. And he says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know the answer. Ezekiel proclaims that only God would know the answer to that question. He's saying, I have no idea because I don't have the capability to say whether or not these bones can live again. Only you can, God. And so then what does God do? Bones begin rattling across the valley, and dust begins to rise up as the bones slide together and form this vast field of skeletons and tendons and sinew begin to stretch and pull over muscles forming and swelling over the skeletons. And surely Ezekiel's like about to pass out at this point, like half from disgust and half from amazement to see like this happening and then hair and nails and eyes begin to form. And then finally, 
You can see their chests rising and falling as life enters their bodies, and they all stand up to present themselves before Ezekiel as a living army. And what else could display more strongly God's capability when it comes to fulfilling promises? If God can turn a valley of dry bones into a living army, then of course he can restore Israel to its former glory and then some. And if God can do that, then what has he promised you that you're doubting? What challenges are we facing that are more difficult than bringing a valley of dry bones back to life? What has he determined reality in your life that you're still seeing as fiction? And then the third and final thing that we need to fulfill a promise is authority. And the definition, don't worry, I got it. The definition of authority is the power or the right to give order make decisions, and enforce discipline. And again, in the case of the new car, my authority is whether or not I have the power or right to gift you all a new car. Have I budgeted for it? Did I ask Brie first, etc. All of these things are crucial. You know this. So I think the best illustration of authority we see in the Bible is in Exodus 3. Now, this is before the Jews have ever even gone to the promised land. They're still in Egypt. They're under Pharaoh's harsh rule. He's mistreating them. He's enslaved them. And again, the Jews are feeling pretty hopeless. And even more so now because they haven't even seen the promise that God's laid before them. So, he has now charged Moses with going up and speaking to Pharaoh. But Moses is understandably skeptical because Moses also understands the power and authority that Pharaoh possesses himself. So when God presents himself as a burning bush and tells Moses to confront him, we can see and read his skepticism in Exodus 3, 7 through 15. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. Lead them out of Egypt. You will worship God on this. Sorry, I'm skipping around. Lead them out of Egypt. Promises, promises. Ah, is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land with Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses recognized that he alone did not possess the authority necessary to complete this task. He's like, I'm just some dude. I cannot go up to Pharaoh and tell him, like, we're leaving. Peace. He's like, I can't do that. But God reassures him, it is not under your third authority, but my authority that you are going. We see that in verse 12. He said, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. God established that he is the ultimate authority 
by giving his identity as I am. God is saying that, like, I am the ultimate authority because I exist. I am the then and now. I am the one who created all. I am the one who establishes and destroys authority. The mere fact that I'm speaking to you, a being that I have designed and created, is testament to my authority. I am existence. So, no matter what circumstance we're in, no matter what promises are being made to us or we're making to others, all three of these things are needed in order to fulfill that promise. Credibility, capability, and authority. And we've seen in a few stories how God established that he possesses these traits, but the ultimate illustration of what all these stories today have pointed to is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of God's credibility, of his capability, and his authority. Jesus is evidence of God's capability because he defeated death. He's evidence of God's credibility because he promised to save us. And he's evidence of God's authority because he made it to where Christ could bear the sins of the entire world so that we can be seen as righteous. So if you're sitting here with an inkling of hope that I'm still going to be gifting you a car by the end of this sermon, but you're worried about whether or not Jesus' blood has cleansed your sins, you need to swap your priorities around. If you're placing more faith in the talking heads on the news than in Christ's ability to conquer death, then you need to adjust what you're investing your faith in. God's promises are worth investing your faith in because he is credible, he is capable, and possesses the authority to see them through to completion every single time. God has made promises thousands of times throughout the Bible, and God continues to make promises today based on his word. So in this new year, as we're making our resolutions and we're making these promises to ourselves, let us first seek God's guidance and ensure that it's through his prompting and not the prompting of our own fleshly desires that we're making these promises and commitments. Furthermore, for those of us who have received promises from God, but too afraid or were too skeptical to cling to those promises he's made, seek him and pray about it. God does not always give us easy challenges or promises to sit on. He doesn't always hand it right to us. You know, instead, at times, he presents us with promises that might challenge our faith, that might challenge our faith in him. But instead, he presents us with these challenges so that we can reach that point that he desires from. He's a, he desires a greater sense of closeness to him and faith in him. So what are you doubting God for but trusting in your own abilities for what do you need to throw off in order to allow your heart to rest in the promises that God has given you? I encourage you all to seek him out today through intentional prayer and the reading of his words in order to understand the promises he made to us through Christ and the promises he's still speaking to us today.